Blog Talk Radio. He was up each morning with the dawn because he knew his daily run was long and hard and he had to be ready to get his freight train down the track determination he would never lack the little locomotive called freight train Freddy. Hi everyone, welcome to Getting on Top. I'm your host, Paul Morris, and we're here Wednesdays, usually from 4 to 4.30, now from 5 to 5.30 today, and we broadcast from the southern Hudson Valley region of New York State, which is also the northern suburbs of New York City, my hometown, and um, that little ditty you heard was Freight Train Freddy from the book of the same name, uh, which I wrote, and uh, it's illustrated by Peter Tizone. If someone would like to uh, see more about the book, see the beautiful pictures that Peter uh, drew, or read some of the verse that I wrote, please go to ftfcreations.com. That's FTF, as in Freight Train Freddy, creations.com. And uh, if someone would like to call in with a comment or a question for me and my guest, you could dial one three four seven. 215-9456, and today I'm very pleased to have Ron Auden with me today, and the name of the show is A Journey to Accept and Celebrate You, and Ron Auden is a life navigator, was a director of Substance Abuse Prevention Program at Mamaroneck New York School District. He was also a frequent lecturer at faculty and community seminars. Uh, uh, Ron returned to private practice in 2004 to fresh perspective on working with people, and he calls himself a life navigator. We're going to talk about that a little as we go into the show. He adapted a fresh and very forward approach, helping people get from where they are to where they want to go in life. Today we'll be discussing how you focus on your who, while others may uh, be thinking about your what. The conversation will aim at understanding the distinction between who you are, who we are, what we are, and what we do, and knowing where to go for validation. Hi, Ron. How you doing? Hi. I'm doing great, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners. Pleasure. Um, so, let's start off right, right at the nitty-gritty here. Where do we go for validation? Or where should we go for validation? Well, it depends upon validation is kind of like a, a fluid term, Paul. It depends upon there is no single source of validation. It depends upon what you're looking to validate and how you're determining validation. When you're when you want to say, hey, do you think this is uh, adequate in a work environment? You go to a boss. When you put on a, a photo exhibit of your artwork, that's a different question. Um, there is a, my creative mentor, Ed Giobi, who lives here in Katona, said to me, if you're a true artist, you really don't give a crap about what people think. The validation is in your eyes. You're the artist. And I think Giobi's philosophy about art applies to oneself also. 
Um, where you go to validate yourself is internal. How do you feel about yourself and who you are? And I think that's a huge distinction between functional things and things that are not transactional and functional in terms of the term validation. Yeah, well, sure. Inwardly motivated versus outwardly motivated. But interestingly enough, many people are outwardly motivated. They, uh, they Let me interrupt you for a second. When you, def- when you say outwardly motivated, are yes. you defining that as being motivated by people's attaboys? Be- or are you talking well, whatever, about... Uh, well, yes, that, anything, whatever it is, it's not coming from you. It's coming from outside of you, from others. And, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about or are very concerned about what other people think about them. Correct. Uh, as opposed to what they think about themselves. Yes. Uh, this is a subject that I, you know, it's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, and... Uh, so, tell me about it. How to, how to, <laughs> you know? Well, it was never, it was not a problem of mine. I mean, obviously, I've had other. Everyone has issues of some kind. I've had other other issues. Maybe I didn't care enough about what other people thought, but uh, you know that that wasn't a problem. So you know, I came to it late. In fact, when I started, got out of college and started working, it was surprising to me how people you know felt some so so much that way and it's not a criticism it's just uh you know i was in my own world as most people are until they get out in the big world to uh, work with other people but so uh i guess we agree that validating yourself is more important so why do so many people uh, look outside themselves for validation it's an excellent question um it, it it has a lot to do with a uh, multi-generational paradigm, particularly in America, uh, of focusing on the tasks, achievement, and behaviors uh, that we do and saying to people as we raise our children, as we go into the workforce, good job, nice job. Wow, you look really pretty in that dress. Wow, boy, you make mommy proud when you do that. And therefore, this paradigm of development that, that's being out there in America, and it goes back multiple generations, um, truly has created a generation and multiple generations of looking outside of themselves. What's more important, Paul, is today's Gen Z and millennials have a different type of validation system that transcends the interpersonal, because the interpersonal world has expanded to the social media and has expanded to the digital world. So that's an entire new dimension that you and I as boomers and Gen Xers never really experienced, which is the digital world of validation. So where do they go? They go outwards. They go to for recognition of what they've accomplished and here in Westchester, it's not uncommon for people to surround themselves with the objects of their success so that people can say, wow, that's, you really must be good if you have all of those symbols wow. of success. Well, you could see who, you know, who was, who was lauded as, you know, of course, people respect people like Einstein and others like that. Uh, but, 
you know, it's the Kardashians or it's, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, of that ilk. And going back, uh, you know, a century or so, it was the, uh, you know, the, what they call the robber barons who built these great mansions uh, in Rhode Island and so on and so forth. And I remember being, you know, I was out there uh, a couple of times, <clears throat> and I don't really care that much with the people we were visiting like to go to see them, and, and it's so ostentatious, you know. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, you wonder it's beyond comfort. It's it's obviously done to impress someone else. No, but uh, let me interrupt you, Paul. I think yeah, what yeah. happens is, is that these symbols become benchmarks for a lot of people, and this needs to stop. It is toxic. It, it, is, it creates an enormous amount of dysfunction. It creates a structure of external validation that's just corrupt, and people start benchmarking themselves against others instead of accepting who they are. And, and, he, and here's the linchpin. Here's the pivot point. The pivot point is when people think they don't do a good job at something, they say that they're not good. When people think that they've done something bad or they've done something wrong in their lives, act. They act this way, that they are that way. Who they are is bad. Who they are is wrong. And they fail to make that distinction that it is perfectly okay, perfectly okay and very human to act like a jerk, but that doesn't mean you are a jerk. It's well, perfectly human, let me finish, it's perfectly yeah, human yeah. to yeah. hurt someone unintentionally. That doesn't mean you're a hurtful person. It means you acted in a hurtful way. And that separation is key, Paul. Well, sure. I mean, if you say you've done something wrong, done something bad rather than you are bad, and a lot of times people will, you know, <clears throat> gloss over that distinction. Uh, right. We talk about, you know, you're not your 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 history you're not your past and people and you know it's it's easy to fall into the trap the people think they are you know their their history because you've done this or you've done that and really i mean if you want to get into the spiritual aspect <clears throat> i believe very strongly we're here to learn life lessons and the fact that you know we've we've uh, screwed up a few times or done this or that isn't really important the fact if if you've overcome things and you've learned lessons, then that's really the thing, you know, to be born perfect and to remain that way, you know, which is just a, an ideal, not a reality, is is a waste of time, really, in the sense of of learning anything in life. But you know, then, then there there are people who are not like that. You have the uh, this guy Walton who started Walmart. And uh, who's the other guy in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, who's a, one of the richest people in the world? And they they live very modestly. They have the same houses they had when they were poor, you know. And I saw. You know, it's funny you should say that. I I had the I had the uh, privilege of seeing uh, Sam Walton's office, the original office, ah. out in oh. Bentonville, Arkansas. And your point is spot on. It, it, it's about as down to earth as you can possibly imagine. Right. And the existing headquarters of Walmart right now are very, 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 very low-key, uh, very low-key. Um, so, yeah, um, these are, are people, people that internally validate. 
Right. And, and you know, then uh, people like Trump who builds, you know, these great, you know, great uh, symbols, you know, lives in these palaces. And look, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to say this is right or that's wrong. You know, whatever whatever you like, but it, it it's it's impressive when I'm 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 not an assertions person, but I would certainly have a better house if I had that kind of money. Yeah. And Walt, you know, then uh, this guy uh, Walton or the other the uh, the you, financier. You made a very good point. You made a very good point earlier, Paul. I want to go back to that. Yeah. You're not defined sure. by your past. And uh, by the yeah. way, I do agree with you that this is a journey, which is why I refer to myself as a life navigator. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute. But we are not defined by our past, and spending decades of working in addiction services and a diversity of issues where the 12 steps come in. That is very foundational to the sobriety and the, and the well-being of people um, who have these issues. It's recognizing that their past behavior does not define who they are today. Right. And, right. and at the clinic and at Katona Healing Arts where I work, Part of, the, part of the process is understanding that separation and recognizing you're not defined by what right. you've done. Right. But, and that's a right. challenge. That's a journey. Sure, sure. And most people, and even though I, you know, I say this now, I mean, I didn't really understand that until someone brought it up once and I thought about it and I said, that makes sense. So it's not something you come to naturally. But, I mean, someone in my family uh, was... Uh, you know, was a drug addict, and uh, we thought the guy was, you know, hopeless. Eventually, hit bottom. He went to a program, an eighteen-month program, and and uh, he, he turned around. In fact, he wound up helping a lot of other people, which was completely surprising if you knew him when, you know. And uh, so, people can can make, you know, can make that big change in life. Uh, yeah, if they want to. Yes, absolutely. You now, know the joke about the psychiatrist and the light bulb, right? Yes, How many if they want to change. Yeah, the light bulb has to want to be changed. It really has and to want exact, to change. That's the that's the simplest thing. But you know, I I come I work, with, <clears throat> you know, doing emotional healing and people with depression, and it's amazing because uh, if you haven't had depression, I hope you. No one listening and yourself never had it because it's it's a nightmare. Believe me, I've had it. And uh, they don't want to change. And I look at them like they're insane. I mean, I would have given anything if someone came to me and said I could help you. You know, it's I said it, 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 there's nothing nothing has to be cut off your anatomy. All right, so if it doesn't work but, out, you know, worse off. And yet Paul, they look, a foundational look at paradigm. me in fear. There's a foundational paradigm among a lot of clinicians, particularly in dealing with issues like this. And, and, and the foundational paradigm is people do not change for pleasure. They don't. They try to maintain a homeostasis. They try to maintain the status quo. Even if that status quo is profoundly dysfunctional, we as human beings absolutely try to maintain this homeostasis. So, what do we in the helping arts and the healing arts and the well-being arts and science do with people who are trying to maintain a homeostasis? Because that's normal. The, the 
the process is, and it's like, yeah, there is a wizard behind, you know, the imaginary door. The wizard does exist. It's you. You try to create what's called an artificial pain threshold for change. You try to create an environment, an awareness that what is going on can, will, and make it very experiential get worse. But people won't change until they reach their pain threshold. And as a, and as a navigator. I can't stop them from capsizing their boats. I can't stop them from running aground. I can only help them understand what it feels like if they do, so therefore they can avoid it as skippers of their own life vessel. So you you go with the uh you go with the uh stick rather than the carrot, basically. You try to I don't I don't think I understand that. Try that again. Well, the carrot and the stick with the donkey, you know, the carrot in front of the face so it moves forward, or you hit him with a stick on his no, on his backside no, to get him. No, 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 I don't. No, I I don't think that metaphor or analogy is on target. There is no stick. There is absolutely no stick, and there is no carrot. It it, it just is. It, it it's like saying, Paul, I understand that you're feeling X. I understand that you're struggling with Y. But let's talk about what you're getting out of it, and let's talk about where it can go. And if you're happy with that, stay with it. But if you're not, let's talk about some changes. And it's holding a very real mirror, somewhat magnified, of their life in front of them. There's no sticking carrot there. Sticking carrot is is a punitive, positive-negative reinforcement thing. There is no sticking carrot here. It's just reality. Uh, I'm glad you brought well, that up so I could clarify. I mean, you're either you're – either you're either painting a terrible picture where they are or a wonderful picture where they might be. So, I mean, however, whatever term you want to use, it's pretty much, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But, okay. Okay. Regardless of terminology. Because uh, <clears throat> when we had conversation before, you told me, and you're saying now, that you're trying to tell them that, you know, they're not getting anywhere with, you know, in their groove, whatever you want to call it, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, when it, when it comes to things like this, it has to do with inertia or groove where people, you know, have spent a lot of time in their life, especially if they're not feeling great about themselves, on how to survive. And what's what I see happening is the uh, therapist is taking this away from them and they don't know where they're going to be without it. And it's kind of frightening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must you you see what I'm saying here. I, I understand. Mean, what what, what do you saying. think? What do you think frightens them so much from you know from changing, even if they're suffering? I mean, that's really uh, really hard to figure out. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. I'm going to answer your question in a little bit of of, of uh, an oblique way. What I have learned over the past decades in working with people is, it might surprise you, Paul, is people are afraid of success. People are afraid of well-being, authentic well-being. It scares the crap out of them. They love the concept, but the reality of it scares the hell out of them. So it's paradoxical, but people are often afraid of real authentic well-being and success. Terrifies them. 
Well, I can understand that sometimes they can be, and uh, because there's responsibility, which success comes with responsibility, and exactly. sometimes they're afraid they won't be able to maintain, you know, that level. We do have a caller. I don't know if they're just calling in to listen to the show or they have a question. But if you hold a moment, I'll find out. Okay. Sure. Uh, caller from 561 area code, you have a question for me and my guest, or are you just listening? Yes, I have show? a question. Or actually, a, um, just uh, just call. give me your first name, please, and you know what. Uh, Laura. Are you, are you, I'm sorry. Laura. Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Ron. How are you? I'm good. Ask your question. What's up? I would like to know if my feeling of accept and then celebrate, because that's what the conversation is regarding is in my own life, I use uh, gratitude. Whenever I'm feeling like things aren't going well, I start to do a gratitude list. Yep. Okay. And, and that's absolutely a, a wonderful approach to do it, yeah. What What are you thankful for? Oh, my health, my family, my house. Exactly. I have food in my refrigerator. I have clothes on my back. My kids are healthy. There you go. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think that's an absolutely wonderful, valid tool. Super. Thank you. I'm enjoying your conversation. Does it work for you, Laura? Yes, it does. Um, occasionally, being a human being, you want to lull sometimes when you have your little pity parties. And, and when you um, when I realize that I that's what I'm doing, then that's when I snap into the gratitude. Laura? And say, I don't want to be here. Laura? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Cool. I'm, I'm going to keep this PG-13 because we're on the air. But um, there are times I am a complete jerk in my marriage. Ask my wife. She'll be the first to tell you. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am a flaming jerk. And at those times that I become aware of the fact that I am a flaming jerk, I do what is now known in my family and among my friends as my a-hole dance. And I literally just do this little a-hole dance in front of my wife and friends, or if I'm in public and I'm being a royal jerk and I'm called on it, and I celebrate the fact that I'm being an a-hole jerk. I recognize it. I accept it. I'm human. I screwed up, and I move on. Right. I'm human because it's a celebration. It gives me – pay attention, Laura – it gives me permission to not only dance to my a-holeness, but it also allows me to say, you know what, Ron? You are doing some pretty nifty things with people. And keep that as authentic. And it keeps the high and the low in balance. That's all it does. Because the good can't be without the bad. The light can't be without the dark. Going to bat. Paul was saying earlier with the spiritual side. So yeah, I do my I do my jerk dance. I like it. That's cool. a good idea. Cool. Send <laughs> me a video guys. of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put it up on YouTube. We'll start a new movement. <laughs> the eight-hole <laughs> dance. Okay. Thank you, Laura. Thanks. Thank you for calling in. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, I'm going to take her off mic. Uh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I... I I started doing something recently, and it, it, it was really positive. Um, I had a, a uh, someone on the air, and he told me about happiness, happiness thing. 
And, you know, I found out that just I realized, because being a life, you know, up to recently when I cured myself, a depressive, uh, you know, depressives live in in a place where they're unhappy all, and they're thinking bad, negative thoughts all the time. Um, I'm not going to get into it in detail, but basically that keeps them in that, often keeps them in that depressive state. And yes, I found working, working at a mental state. health clinic and at the hospital, I've worked with a significant number of depressive. It's 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 challenging. I understand that, Paul. But it, the simple thing was, and it was a shock to me. I was very happy to be shocked by it. Now I show other people about it. Just literally thinking happy thoughts, you know, and keeping your, your focus on that, may, you know, makes you feel good. And uh, I believe because I was a computer programmer when I got out of college. It's actually like jumping from one program to another, and it makes sense. When you hit a certain criteria, your brain goes to that program. And as amazing as it is, I found when I was in a you know a low state, I just start thinking about those happy things, and it's almost miraculous how you, your head jumps to a different place. But let's get back to uh, what we were talking about. So you say... <clears throat> in your practice now that you're helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. Correct. What are are the biggest challenges and and issues that you hear in your practice? Well, let's go back to to the concept of helping people get from where they are to where they want to go in life Um, because that's all I do as a navigator. My role is to navigate, not to be the skipper. And one of the things, in fact, the thing that I do is the first time I see a person uh, at the office, before the end of the session, what I will say to them is, first, we establish whether or not we want to continue to work together. Because sometimes there's not a good fit. Um, And if we want to continue to work together, they're comfortable with me and I'm comfortable with them. Then I will say to them, Paul, what do you want to say to me? on the last that we worked together as a crew. What? I just got here. What do you mean by that? Well, why are you asking me that? No, I want to know, what do you want to say to me on the last day we worked together as a crew? I don't know. Why are you asking? I'm asking because that's when we know when it's time to graduate. That's when we know when you've arrived at where you want to be. So, Next week, come back and think about that and give me an answer. So the issue that historically, before I was in a role of navigator, when I was doing traditional psychotherapy and what I went to school for and what I practiced for all those years, the issues were people didn't know where they wanted to be. People didn't know where they wanted to go. People never even conceptualized that working with someone has a finite period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to just extend it. There was this wonderful interview, but many of your listeners might not even remember this. Dick Cavett was inter- was interviewing Woody Allen and Nora Ephraim. And, you know, Woody Allen, with his years of psychoanalysis three or four times a week, two or three times a week, and I'm not bashing psychoanalysis in any way, shape, or form. Dick Cavett turned to Nora and said, have you ever been in psychoanalysis? Her response is classic. She said, life's too short. Psychoanalysis is too long. So the first day you come into work with a navigator, what I say to you is, tell me how we know when it's time to end. Tell me when we know when it's time to graduate. And I think that's a big issue for a lot of people. They see entering a relationship with someone as open-ended. 
I think the well, I think in many cases in traditional psychoanalysis, the problem is they like we said they they're a the light bulb that doesn't want to be put in. You know, they don't want to get better. They just want to uh, keep their heads above water. But, Paul, there are numerous people, numerous people that I've worked with that have had, and and that I know that have had enormous benefits working in psychoanalysis. The the struggle we have as professionals is we say X is bad or X doesn't work. And that's erroneous. Each person has their unique need, and each person has a unique skill in addressing that need. Not all practitioners are good for all people, and not all people are good with a specific type of practitioner. That's why, yeah, well, I, that's why I suggest people interview a variety of people before they decide on who they want to work with. Of course, but I mean, you know, I think a lot of times I think it's, it's, it's not right for, for a therapist to keep people, you know, year after year. I guess they keep their head above water and that's okay, but, you know, they're, they're, they're really, you know, I mean, after 10 or 20 so years, <laughs> you know, something something ain't working here. You know, it's not happening. So it's it, something. Uh, you know, I believe it. The, per, the person just doesn't want to give up their victimhood, basically. The uh, the uh, patient. So that's you know that's it. They want to. In other words, they want to take a pill. They don't want to go to that place that's scary inside them. That's why so many people who have depression take medication because they don't want to go where they need to go. It's not really that scary when you when you do it the way I do it, but they think it is because they don't understand. It is kind of frightening if you don't understand it, but right. that's but, why they take I a think, pill. A pill is like Paul, easier. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, Paul, that part of the challenge as professionals that we face, and this is part of the things that when I'm teaching and I'm supervising become critical is we keep our stuff out of the people we work with stuff and recognize that what might work for us as individuals might not work for the people that we're trying to um, guide along their journey of well-being. And I think that's very paramount to keep in mind. Right. So how do you know it works for them? I don't understand the question. Well, you say what what works for us. What works for me as an individual might not work for the people I'm working with, so I have to keep myself out of it and focus on the needs of the people I'm working with. Well, sure. Right, that's Uh, all. But, okay, why why would you be involved? Is it because I'm talking about some experience I had? And that I, I think it's twofold. Uh, no, I, I think it's twofold. I think I'm not going to deny the fact that that's part of it, but I think part of the challenges that people have when they turn to a guide, navigator, therapist, priest, whatever euphemism is used to 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 link to a person that's going to be helping them in their well-being, I think part of the avoidance is what is okay, what are they going to do or what approach are they going to use to work with me? And I think what's paramount is that the people listening, no matter who they work with, have a clear understanding that someone who is really there for them and is focused on their journey, irrespective of their own issues, is going to help them get to where they need to go. That's all I'm saying. I personally might not be in favor 
of medication. But over 35 years, there are a lot of the people I work with that need medication. Medication in the absence of working with someone and talking about what's going on might work for some people, might not work for others. I have to keep my point of view out of that. That's all. Yeah, well, it's a point of view. I mean, you you look at you look at what's going on and you evaluate. Uh, for instance, uh, as far as depression is concerned, a lot of people that where medication works, I don't believe really have a depression. They have a mood disorder, and uh, and it, it probably works very well for people with mood disorder because you know that may be a, a, a chemical thing. Right. But, but I know, think that's it, off topic of, of integrating what we're talking about, who we are, what we are, and what we do. But but I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on it's, it depends on the circumstances. But anyway, okay, we're getting towards the end of the show. So why don't we kind of, you know, wrap up if you want to make a general statement. Uh, tell people what, you know, how to get in touch with you or... Uh, any uh, any programs you might be uh, doing? Uh, well, I, 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 before I do that, I just want to ask if there are yeah. any outstanding questions any of the listeners have or you have b- before we end, because I want to make sure your needs and the listeners' needs are met before mine. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, that was the call we got. I don't I don't see any other calls on the board, so uh, you know, no one's going to. I guess unless they call in the last moment. Sure, but what I was unclear about is when you're saying get your <clears throat> your yourself involved with what they do. What 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 exactly do you mean by that? I mean you have to you have to evaluate as an analyst. You have to evaluate what goes on. You may you know use something that you understand. Uh, yourself there are two people as a as a guy. Yeah, let, let me answer the, your question. Hold on, let hold me on, answer let your me qu- finish my. Let me finish my question, please. Uh, You know, you may use what you understand and and see in the world as a guide. That doesn't mean, again, you know, everyone isn't like you, obviously, but, you know, there are certain certain guideposts and certain uh, approaches that, you know, could be valid. So, uh, you know, I wasn't clear about what you meant by that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll clarify it for you. It's rather straightforward. When I'm in the office and I'm working with someone, there is very little difference between, no, let me restate this. There is a big difference between the person in that office working with the individual than the person that is in my marriage, the person that's a father, the person that's a best friend. Very, 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 very huge distinction. Because in that office, My sole focus is the person that I am going to be helping navigate and help them get from where they want to go, where they want to, where they are to where they want to go. Now, why did I say there's a big distinction? Because the Ron Arden outside of that office might have a completely different set of values than the person that's in my office. And specializing in human sexuality for as long as I did, there are a lot of things that people that I work with were involved with from a sexual basis that Ron Arden does not find appealing and is not necessarily aligned with. But the guidelines are that whatever goes on 
between oh, one yeah. or more consenting adults is perfectly okay, consenting in adults in the area of human sexuality. That's sure. what I mean about keeping yourself out of the clinical environment. Well, sure. That's all. Sure. You don't want to, you don't want to judge people, obviously. Exactly. Uh, and that's not uh, what I, yeah, I didn't, anything that's what I, I meant was about that before distinction. did not involve judging people. But I will say this, though, and I'm, uh, I feel very strongly about people who, you know, I, I often run into people who are therapists who won't take therapy for themselves. And I find that distressing. You know, I mean, if you, if you don't believe in something, if you don't do it yourself, obviously you don't believe in it. Why should other people believe in, you know, what you're doing for them if you're, you know, if you're not doing it yourself? You know, it's like it's like having a a someone who is a, a diet person who is overweight and telling you how to lose weight. You know, they don't have a lot of credibility. You know, or someone who, who's, who's who's showing you how to work out and is in terrible shape. I mean, so you know, I don't I don't know how that you know uh, fits into exactly what we're talking about, but you know, it's something that always was in my mind that you know you should be involved, at least know how it feels to do certain things. You may not have exactly the same issues that someone else has, but know how it feels to go through that and go from, you know, one place to another and see, you know, and see that, have that experience. At the risk of sounding, at the risk of sounding blunt, I guess that means it can be no male OBSGYNs based upon you know, what you've just said. funny you should mention that. I thought you'd react to that. <laughs> I thought you'd react to that. Because uh, I, funny because when my wife, when, you know, when when uh, my wife and I were young, and she was trying to get pregnant, she did have a, you know, there were, there were plenty of very good uh, doctors like that, but but the doctor used to she told me the doctor used to say he didn't, and maybe more than one of them male uh, gynecologists and uh, obstetricians and say that women, when they had certain experiences, you know, it was all in their heads. And it upset me because I said, how do they know? <laughs> I, I'm sure it is. You know, I'm sure it is, Paul. But you're talking, like, about, you're talking about you know, 40 or 50 years ago. And yes, you're also what you're also doing, and I caution you about this, is you're extrapolating an individual experience and generalizing it to a population. So I just I just caution you on doing that um, in, in professionally, on a professional basis, um, it, because it just doesn't work that way. You're also having paradigms that go back 40 or 50 years. Well, I'm just using it as an example. Yes, right, obviously right, right. that's but, a long right. time ago. And I said right, that. right. Okay. Well, we, uh, we're going to get cut off here. Uh, okay. So wrapping while, it up. And it's, it's maybe a different conversation uh, we can have another time. But uh, Anytime. Anyway, if you want to wrap it up, go ahead. Why don't you? Uh, I, I think I want to thank you for the opportunity. I, I really do. Um, and, you know, you know, I work at Katona Healing Arts in Katona, New York. You can reach me at 914-248-9664. And what's uh, really, really, really important to understand is the only thing I do uh, is help people get from where they are to want to, where they want to go. That's all I do. 
it's critical that the people that I work with recognize that they're in charge and they're in control, not me. All I do is keep them out of trouble or try to keep them out of trouble, and that's it. Okay. Well, thank you, right. Ron Auden. Thank you. For being my guest. And uh, thank thank you all you listeners for listening in. And we'll be back next week. Have a good Bye night. Now. Bye-bye. He was up each morning with the dawn Because he knew his daily run was long and hard And he had to be ready To get his freight train down the track Determination he would never lack The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy Everybody was his friend And they all helped him to the end To keep those freight cars rolling along steady He never knew what to expect And was very careful not to wreck The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy's.